Well, we always have ministry time here on a Sunday morning. In all seriousness, it gives people the opportunity to be prayed for. That's why I love the vineyard. It's not just coming to hear somebody preach or worship songs around Jesus' throne, but we actually get to engage with, with God through prayer and interaction too. So that's good, isn't it? Why don't we stand? You're asking why are we standing? Actually, I have no idea. It just, it just popped into my head. No, in all seriousness, this is Remembrance Sunday. So I just wanted to take a moment this morning not to, um, yeah, we're not here to glorify war, but we are here to remember sacrifice and also people that give their, their lives for us, regardless of their religious background, their social background, their political background, men from, and women from all corners of Ireland uh, give their, their all. And I'm always reminded when it comes to Remembrance Sunday on the 11th of the 11th, I'm always reminded that we seek a better future and that there is a king who is far better than any earthly king that we could possibly serve. And his name is Jesus. And he's bringing a kingdom that is going to put to end all war. And Isaiah, the prophet who spoke about the Messiah, he says that there will be a day when we use the machinery of war, when it will be used to harvest in the souls of humanity into friendship with Jesus Christ, I'm paraphrasing. And so this morning, just we just still our hearts a minute, and I want us to silently pray, silently pray that the King, the Prince of Peace, would invade our land, our community. Nobody died so that we would keep having wars. They all dreamt of peace and a better future. And as the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, King Messiah, we have to our disposal, weapons that are more strong, stronger than anything on this earth that can usher in the presence of peace and the shalom of God in our time. So in your hearts, would you just pray that the kingdom of heaven would come in all its fullness, that the shalom of God would be among us, in our families, in our towns, in our cities and villages, this day, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, Holy Spirit, come. Come, bring your peace. Bring your wonderful peace. Transcends time, lands, opinions. God, help us to courageously usher in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, that we would be an army that marches on bended knee. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Vineyard. If this is your first time, I want to give you a special welcome. Um, it's good to have you with us. Yes. Always a bit intimidating trying a new place out or checking a new place out for the first time. Uh, could I be um, a little demanding? Could I have some light? Because I'm going to use scripture this morning and I cannot see a thing. So, Matthew, would you go out? You're oh, he speaks that there be light and there is light. Let the offering increase four times. So if you're with us for the first time, or maybe you've been away, or just busy with family life, or sickness, or whatever it is, 
uh, we're in a conversation and we're calling it Teach Us to Pray. We're actually taking the words from Jesus' disciples when they heard Jesus pray. They were fascinated by that. They never asked for Jesus to teach them to heal, Jesus to cast out demons. They never asked for specific teaching on how to do something. All are, this is the only reference when they specifically asked their Messiah, Jesus, to teach them. And the thing that they ask him is to teach us how to pray. And the reason I think that is, is that everything stems from that root. Everything else comes from intimacy with the Father. And when we're praying, when we're in his presence, and out of his presence, out of intimacy with Father God, then we heal the sick, we raise the dead, we cast out demons. And so it's, it was primary importance to those disciples, those apprentices of Jesus Christ, that they asked that question, teach us to pray. And it's still a question that I think the followers of Jesus should ask today in the 21st century. It's a question that's the root of everything that we do, that we want to be around this question, Father, teach us how to pray. And so this is a bigger conversation that we're having here at Vineyard Church Dungannon. The bigger question is, how do we become disciples? How do we become apprentices of Jesus Christ? And we have a working definition here at VCD for that. A disciple, or what we would probably term it today in modern vernacular, would be apprentice. Somebody who's an apprentice who sits under somebody to learn. And the working definition for us here at Vineyard Church is that we, uh, we be with Jesus. We learn to be with him. And out of that, we learn to become like him. And then the third strand of being an apprentice or disciple of Jesus Christ, just as it was in the Bible, is that we do the things that Jesus did. But in the context of family. So our working definition here at VCD of a disciple is somebody who is being, spending time with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did in the context of community and family. So that's a bigger conversation. So the reason why we're teaching in prayer is that we want to help you to be with Jesus. And how many of you would say today that we could all get a little better at being with Jesus in prayer? Yeah, me too. We could all get a little better at being with Jesus in the context of prayer. So today, it's a good day, and I've kept this one for, to sort of conclude our series on Teach Us to Pray. Today, I want to look at listening to Jesus. Hearing the voice of God. What an idea. What an idea that we could hear the voice of God. That's a pretty big idea, isn't it? Some would say ridiculous. Some would say presumptuous. Some might even say dangerous. Now we're going into dangerous territory when we're talking about hearing the voice of God. But I'm convinced it's more presumptuous and dangerous to live as a flourishing human being, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. It's more dangerous to live as a flourishing human being without the voice of God. Without the voice of God. Because without God's voice, without his conversation in my life, I don't know about you, I find myself stuck in my failures and directed by my past. What his voice does in my life, it actually frees me from my past and it actually launches me into my good future with my Father in heaven. So without the voice of God, I'm stuck in my past. I'm listening to the voice of society. I'm listening to the voice of others, religious and, and political uh, commentators in, in life, the sphere of life where we all live. If I don't have the voice of God in my life, then I'm stuck in the past. And that's a dangerous way to live. And so I would say it's very presumptuous and very dangerous to not to live, not to live by the voice of God. Would you agree? Very dangerous. The other thing I find if I don't live by the voice of God is without the voice of God and his conversation in my life, I'm left forever guessing and doubting my decisions. I don't know about you. 
See, it's not, it's not that people say, oh, I, I, if I'm hearing God's voice, then I'm, am, I in, am I sort of stepping on sort of unstable ground where I'm sort of making decisions. No, 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 no. Actually, the voice of God will help you make better decisions. The voice of God will sure make a sure footing for the decisions that you're making in life. Guys, we sang songs today, you either believe them or not, that God would be your wisdom, God would be your vision. You see things how he sees them, and you hear things how he hears them, and you have a wisdom that's not of yourself, but is of heaven that helps us make the right decisions in life. And so therefore, if I don't have the voice of God in my life, I'm forever wondering, should I have made that decision? Should I have taken that path? Should I have, would I, could I, should I? We live in this land of no man's land where we're undecisive. And the scripture tells us that if you're undecisive, that you'll be blown by and tossed by the wind. Your life is all over the planet. You have no direction. You have no safe footing as you walk into the good future with God. So therefore, it's dangerous and very presumptuous to live as a follower of Jesus Christ without heeding the voice of heaven and the voice of God. Let me give you one more thing where I think it's dangerous and presumptuous. Some people do not believe that God speaks, and yet when they gather on a Sunday morning, when the scripture tells us that, ancient scripture actually tells us, when we are around each other's company, when we gather as a family of God, we should expect to hear the voice of God, but, but not for the congregation, only for the man at the front. I think that's presumptuous and very dangerous if the only voice that you're heeding is a man at the front. Would you agree? Why are you laughing? You seem a bit more energized with that thought than the first two thoughts of undecisiveness, indecisiveness, and actually leading into God's future. But in all seriousness, every congregation believes that God speaks to their minister, their priest, their clergy, right? But that's a dangerous way to live as a follower and apprentice of Jesus Christ. You must hear the voice of your father. Of course, God speaks through man, but it would be very presumptuous and very dangerous if I was the only voice in your life. Would you agree? Okay, you don't have to be nice about it. It would be very dangerous and very presumptuous if I was the only voice in your life. In fact, it would be very anti-biblical, unbiblical, if I was the only voice in your life. Because God speaks to all of us. We're his sons and his daughters. So therefore, I do not believe, let me say this, I don't believe that anybody actually believes, as followers of Jesus, regardless of their tradition or denomination, they don't believe that God does not speak or does speak. Would you agree? They don't. Well, it's one man or many people hear the voice of God. We all believe that God speaks to us today. And so here's the part, and I want you to get this morning. My first point, I have a three-point sermon this morning, believe it or not. Well, I think I do. Is that for the follower of Jesus, you need to know that you are created for an intimate and transforming friendship with the triune God. I want you to hear that again. You're created for an intimate and transforming friendship with the triune God, the relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So hearing God's voice is a continuing conversation in the context of friendship. Do you hear me? Hearing God's voice is the continuing conversation always in the context of friendship. If you don't hear that, you'll never hear the voice of God. Well, you might do, but you'll struggle to, to work with God and to walk with God and to do life with God, hearing his voice as a constant in your life. It's always in the context of friendship. God has not created you and me so that someday we die, go off to the clouds, play harps. He's not done that. Oh, and then if you, if you, if you are up for a little bit more than that, then maybe in the meantime, you get to do some stuff for him here on earth. We call that serving. That is not what God had in mind for humanity, his He's created us for intimate friendship. 
with himself right now, here on earth, right now, at this moment, the 11th of the 11th. He has created us for friendship in this time, right now, and forever. Now and forever. Friendship, friendship, intimate friendship. So I would say, disagree if you want. In all close, close friendships, communication can be counted on. Would you agree? With all friendships that are close, if God created us in the context of having friendship with God now and forevermore, whether we take our last breath or not, right now in this moment, we have friendship with God. He has made us friends with God. That is our status. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic that God has made you a friend? Well, he has made us a friend both now and forevermore. And in any close friendship, in any relationship, communication can be counted on, whether it's verbal or not. Communication must be counted on for any flourishing friendship to happen. So here's the thing. When we talk about hearing God, many of us lose the point of friendship. And this is why I've kept this to last, because there's something about hearing God's voice that takes us down a, a one-way street that it's a dead end. A dead end. It's not the path that God has chosen for us to go on. Hearing the voice of God is not primarily for you to be told what to do or for specific instruction. It's not. Because what happens is that we just think then when it comes to hearing God's voice that we just, we're going to hang around. We're going to wait around. We're going to go at certain times to the place where we call prayer, the quiet time, the place of communion with God. If we conclude that all all the voice of God in our life is for, is for direction and instruction, then we hang about doing nothing out of relationship. Our friendship is cold, maybe polite and reverent, but distant. If we conclude that the only thing the voice of God is for you, for you in your life is so that he tells you what to do, you know what to do, and you know when to do it. That, my friends, is not friendship. That is not relationship. And that's not how the voice of God works. At least not in my life. And as I read the ancient scriptures. I grew up again in a Pentecostal charismatic circle. It's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant church. And I was very privileged to be around the things of the Spirit. And they were just first and foremost in my life. They were my normal. But again, I concluded that hearing the voice of God was for the gift. That I would hear it and use it as a gift. Therefore, the voice of God was connected with prophecy, words of knowledge, or words of wisdom. And for everybody else that didn't believe in the gifts, the voice of God was for instruction and command. But that's not what the voice of God is for. Have I said that? That's not why he speaks to us. Let me give you a scripture that I've been reading this week. Would you turn to Luke chapter 17? Does anybody need a Bible? Sorry, we should give them out during our offering. Anybody need a Bible? We don't use words on the screen. We're trying to get scriptures into your hands. Well, that's... Thanks. Ashley, oh, keep coming, keep coming. Um, that's my stretching done for the day. Is anybody else need ancient scriptures in this side of the room? We're okay. Turn on your phone, turn on your tablet. I'm going to give you a minute to turn there so that we're all at one place together. So we're going to go to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, New Testament. If, if reading scripture is totally new to you, then I would suggest there's an index page right at the front of every Bible. Go there, turn there, find the page number, and it's easy as that. So look, chapter 17. 
70 10. And I'm going to just give you a minute to get there. I keep telling the same story, but let me tell you again so that we don't get religious about it. When I went to Bible college, I was pretty good at the New Testament, but there was some, you know, Habakkuk and Malachi and Zephaniah. I just, to be honest, wasn't around that book a lot. And uh, so therefore they would tell us in class, turn to the book of Malachi. And I just waited to everybody, closed their eyes really tight and looked intense. And then I went to the front of the page and then flicked over and got there. So you don't have to do that here in the vineyard. You don't have to do that. Are we there? Shout yes if we're there. Guys, I'm not going to use paper because I cannot see a thing. So anyway, this is the scripture that we're looking at. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. He's talking about servant relationship. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unprofitable or unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I don't know about you, but that used to sort of sparked a little concern in my life when I read that. I thought, ah, that's not fair, Jesus. It's kind of unkind. Let's read that phrase again. We are unworthy servants. And here's the line. We've only done our duty. We've only done our duty. We have only done our duty. What is or who is the unprofitable or worthy servants? Well, you're, you're an unprofitable. You're an unworthy servant. You become a part of this category when you only do what you're told to do. You only to, when you only do what you're told to do. Uh, uh, beyond that, you see, a son and a daughter know what to do. They're about the will of the Father. They're, they're, they're about his relationship. I had three boys growing up, and when they're in our house, they, I wasn't telling them what to do all the time. Okay, so they're in, under our house, they're under our roof. We are family. We are off the same blood. We are off the same line. And the boys would be doing lots of things. Were they out of the will of the Scott family? No. They knew what to do. They knew about our family. They knew about the will of the father, and the natural father and mother in the house. And they didn't have to ask or be told what to do all the time. That would be a very unhealthy relationship if the only conversation in the life of the Scott boys was do this and do that. And so often in Christendom, we make our relationship with Father God when it comes to hearing his voice that the only thing that we think when it comes to hearing his voice is that we're just waiting for that instruction. How many of us are like that or being like that? Me. You're listening to his voice and the only time you enter into prayer is because you want direction. You want instruction. Does God have a will and a plan? Of course he does. But in the context of this, it's wrapped up in John 15, verse 15. Do you want to turn there? Go on your phone again, go on the paper. John 15, 15. This is really important that you get these scriptures. Four accounts, similar but different. Give us the age of what Jesus is doing here on earth. Brilliant accounts. Let me jump in. Context again. Remember, who is the unprofitable, unworthy servant? If you only do what you're told to do. You're only doing your duty. Here's Jesus' words. I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. 
For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you communication, conversation in the context of relationship and friendship. He lets you know things. He wants you to engage with them. Father, son, father and daughter. It's a picture of the co-worker, not of a servant, waiting around for instructions. Yes, God wants to guide you. Of course he does. He has a plan and purpose for our lives. But he leads us in relationship, not as master and servant. Remember Depeche Mode? We call it master and servant. A lot of churches live out of the theology of Depeche Mode. That's our life, master and servant. When God designed us to have friendship and relationship and intimacy, not waiting around for instruction, of course he has plans for us. He, God has better plans for your life than you have. God wants your life to thrive and succeed more than you do. This is what sin does in our lives. It stops us from trusting in a good father who wants the best for our lives. And I'll tell you what else it does. The religious spirit also keeps us distant from God so that the only relationship we have, him, have with him is master and slave. That's what God has not intended for the church or for you personally. Do you believe that? Okay, so I have some convincing to do. I'll keep trying that. 1 Corinthians 3 9, just to back it up with scripture again, for we are co-workers in God's service. We're working along with God the Father. You're God's field. You're God's building. He's working with you. It's true that God sometimes tells you what to do, right? In every relationship, he, he knows better. He's the Father, and the Father has good intents. The, the, his heart is good towards us. The intent of his heart is good towards us. And so there are things that he wants us to do. But again, in a relationship of friendship, Paul describes himself. Here's the argument. Paul describes himself in the Scriptures as what? Does anybody remember? As a slave. As a slave. But he didn't begin as God's slave. It's very intentional language that Paul chooses to paint a big picture. We are not driven to servanthood. Paul was not driven to servanthood. He was drawn to it by the love of God and by the grace of his Lord Jesus Christ. That is the difference. That is the difference. That's why he could say, you know what, I'm bound to Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up my life and my rights. I've surrendered it all. I am laying down my dreams, my ambitions if my life is to end up opening my door, preaching the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which he talked about in the book of Acts, when he finished up his days, it says that Paul opened his front door. There's that word hospitality again. He finished his days being hospitable, opening up his door so that people could come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ and, and who would be compelled by the gospel. But he was never, never bound by slavery. He was driven by the love, the compelling love of the gospel, the outrageous, generous gift of an outstanding gospel that drove him not to, to uh, into slavery, but, but actually compelled him by the love of the Father to do the will of the Father. That's what it was about. That's what it was about. So we move into complete service as free people, under the love and under relationship with God. Someone who respects our wants and our wills. Did you know that? That God will not force himself he won't override your will. Sometimes I wish he did in my life because it would just save me a lot of pain and a lot of problems. I've made a few silly mistakes. Don't look at me self-righteously. You've made a few silly mistakes too. So here's my point. Here's the middle part of the sandwich. In the context of hearing the voice of God, if you want to learn to hear the voice of the Father, it's prayer and friendship. 
They go hand in hand together, not prayer and instruction. Prayer and instruction. Let me say this with, with all grace and mercy. I find it sad, and I mean that. It mostly hurts me when I find that the only, the only voice that they're hearing when sons and daughters are hearing are voices of instruction. The only time they come to the Father and bend at knee is when they want to find out about something. And, and, and sometimes I'm kind of vague when people say to me, you know, what's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my life? Go find it out. Go discover it with God your Father. You don't need to find a priest or a pastor or a clergyman to find out the will of God for your life. You don't need to run to every conference in the world or, or buy the, I was going to say the tapes, but that would be really hipster nowadays, wouldn't it? You don't have to listen to the podcast to find out. Go search. It's all in the context of relationship with God. See, if we interpret it, if we interpret hearing God, hearing from God, the conversation, when it's simply as God telling you what to do, you don't see the importance of talking with and hearing God. You don't. You'll miss it. Because prayer is an honest exchange, people between people who are doing things together. That's what prayer is. It's an honest exchange. Some of you need to unedit your prayers. You're going to God, your father, as if he doesn't know your life, and you're editing your prayer life, the conversation. You're tidying up your words. You're putting religious uh, connotations around them and phrases around them so that you sound good in front of this God. And I know why. Because you want him to tell you to do this, this, and this. Let me say something that might spark a little controversy this morning. As Michelle's not here, I'm good to go. <laughs> All right. Now, please, if you listen to this via social media, don't take it out of context. Sometimes the Bible's not helpful. Wow. As in, you want to know who to marry. There is no first, there is no chapter to tell you to marry Sue, who lives in 54 Cross McLean, wherever. If you're living your life around just getting specific instruction through Scripture, it's not there. Now, Philippians tells us that there's a lot of whatever in the Scriptures. Whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is noble. And in the context of that, we get to choose, right? So it's super important that we read ancient scripture and we treat it as a living God's authorized word to humanity. Spoken word. His spoken word in written form, sorry. It's important that we read from scripture daily and get, get guidance from it. But if that's your only avenue to hear in the voice of God, I would suggest that your spiritual life and your friendship with God would be slightly depleted. And you're going to find it very hard to journey with Him and flourish with Him. Is that okay? Have we got that in context? I love the ancient scriptures. That's what we're teaching from today. It's the primary way that God speaks to us, by the way. So any parents in the room shout, yep. Do you ever do stuff with your kids? What do you do? Seriously, what do you do with them? Do you ever do tasks with them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a... Any social workers in the room? 
Have you ever like just had a bad idea and decided to paint with them or <laughs> cut the grass or do anything? In all seriousness, how do, how do you engage with your children when they're doing tasks? Uh, is the conversation simple, sharp instruction? Like Mr. Miyagi? Do we have that relationship with our kids? You know, Daniel. I always thought his name was Daniel's son. His son was his surname. And every time I meet a Daniel now, I can't help but saying, oh, Daniel's son. <laughs> but hopefully your relationship with your children or maybe you're fostering or adopting the child that you have um, relationship with and, and, and that you're looking after, I hope that when you're on task, when you're doing something, that the conversation goes beyond the task and around life. I know like when we did stuff with our boys, I would be, we would like be DIY mad in our house. <laughs> and uh, we have put up the odd IKEA shelf, to be honest with you. And that was a task in itself. But like, you know, around the task, there's how's your day? Who's your friends? Are you happy? Are you sad? How are you feeling? What do you think? How would you like to? Maybe. He's a conversationalist. I'll tell you how he's a conversationalist. He says, in the beginning was a word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He just can't help but speak. He's a conversationalist. God. We talk about what's happening, what's interesting. We also talk about what's sad, what's upsetting as parents, don't we? Let's engage with me emotionally just for a minute. We do, because God and I are at work together, and the conversation flows. I hope you get that this morning. You've probably missed some of it. You'll probably hear, the Bible's not helpful. <laughs> but I want you to hear that God and I are working together. You say that for yourself. God and I are working together, and the conversation flows. God and I are working together, and the conversation flows. Third and final point. I've said all that to say this. And how does this communication work? How does it work? Well, the primary manner of communication from God is ancient scriptures. Scripture is God speaking in written word. <coughs> Simple. That's how you have to view the Bible too. <coughs> how many of us come to the Bible actually seeing it as God speaking just in the form of written word. This isn't a Bible study. This is a relational book. This is the only book that every time we open it, the author is always present. How cool is that? God speaking in written word. God addresses people within scriptures, right? So that's, that happens. But then there's, there's phenomenon. There's the audible voice of God. Has anybody ever heard the audible voice of God? Anybody care to <laughs> admit they've heard the audible voice of God? I have not yet. I don't think I have. Um, there are supernatural messengers, m angels, right? It says that that thing about hospitality again, be careful when you're entertaining people, that sometime you could be entertaining a stranger which is an angel, a messenger from God. Dreams and visions. Anybody ever have dreams and visions? God speaks through that, right? 
This church was built in God's dream. No plan to come here to Dungannon. Didn't know the place existed other than probably going to Dublin in the good old bad old days. You went through Dungannon to go to Dublin. Uh, but never really knew the place, didn't know its people, didn't know its history. Thankfully, God spoke in dreams, and I'm here and loving it and making friendships and connecting with people that I would never have the privilege or the honor to connect with and seeing lives transformed by the presence of Jesus Christ. Three dreams and visions. The audible voice we talked about, the human voice. How many times has God directed you and spoke to you and connected with you through a human voice? That's why it's important to be in community, not just here on a Sunday morning. You need to hear the voice of other people in your life who are listening to the voice of God. God uses other people to speak through us and to us. The human spirit, what I call the still, small voice. So, outside of the written word, most often God speaks to us in the still, small voice. The still, small voice. Would you again turn to ancient scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 16. If you're not familiar where that letter is, it's a letter written by Paul. Again, go to the index page. Or if you have a phone, it tells you right away where it is or a tablet. Brilliant. Are we doing okay? So as you're turning there, I'll give you the background. Paul's uh, communicating to a city that's just obsessed with human wisdom. What Paul does is he does throughout the ancient scriptures, throughout his life, he goes into a city or into a town, into an area, he plants a church, he equips a church, he brings the gospel of Jesus Christ, he brings wisdom, sometimes he brings correction, he engages with that people, and then he gets somebody else to lead it, and then he moves on to another community, into another city, and again, plants another church, because the gospel of Jesus Christ spreads through church planting, right? We're, we're sitting here today because, not to be arrogant, but just to talk about obedience because Michelle and I heard the voice of God through dreams and visions, came here to Dungannon, and people got to hear the gospel that might not have heard it. Again, it's not arrogance, just obedience in another context, in another style that, that, that helped them journey with God and give their yes to follow Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? So that's how the gospel travels, always in the context of community through the local church. So these people are obsessed with with communication. They're obsessed with human wisdom and human thinking. That's the age they live in. So very smart people loved literature, loved poets, and they would engage a lot around that. So 1 Corinthians 2, 90-16 says, he starts off by quoting from the prophet Isaiah, who spoke a lot about Jesus coming. However, he says, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, heard, sorry, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That's not very encouraging, is it? You don't get to figure out anything. No eye, no ear, no chance of conceiving what God has for those who love him. And then Paul goes on to say, these are the things God has received, sorry, revealed to us by his spirit. Now, this is the context again. Listen to this. Listen to this. Please listen to this. It's very, very important that you hear this. In the Old Testament, they would have died to have the day that you're having today. Man, they would have given their arm and leg to sit in a black chair here in 2018 on the 11th of the 11th, sitting in a chair where you could have the capacity through Holy Spirit, our friend, to find out what is the mind of God, what is the heart of God, what is the dream of God. You can actually conceive. We are greater than the Old Testament prophets. 
Wow. Some of you are very uncomfortable. Oh, not I. Yes, you. We, have this, we live in a better covenant. We have the Holy Spirit in us. These guys were getting glimpses of the Holy Spirit. They were getting words from God. But the word of God was rare in that time. Now the word of God is a prophet. Joel prophesies and speaks. And as Paul talks about in the book of Acts, he says, the young and the old dream dreams and see visions. We all get to hear the voice of God, regardless of our class, our economic background, our political, religious background. All of us who fall forward in the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be filled with the Holy Spirit and get to conceive what is in his mind and his heart. Wow, how good is that? And then there's this like-for-like like thing that Paul starts to do. He's a clever man. He says this in verse 11. Are you with me? Let me back up. He says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God, like for like. Like for like. God's spirit knows God's thought. Our human spirit knows our thoughts. You know what you're thinking, I hope. Sometimes I don't. Do you know what you're thinking? You're thinking, is it nearly over? So it's like for like. Not Facebook like for like. But it's like for like, it's God's spirit knows God's thoughts just the exact same way as your spirit knows your, your thoughts. This is really important that you catch that. It's really important that we get this because this will help you engaging with the spirit of Christ when it comes to hearing the voice of God. Verse 12, with me? Great. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught, taught us by human wisdom. So Paul's having an argument with these guys more or less because they're all captured by human wisdom. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Experience, explaining what? Spiritual realities and Spirit-taught words. The, per <clears throat> excuse me, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're they are discerned only through the Spirit. Verse 15, stay with me. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Oh, can Christians judge? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to know right from wrong. Truth from untruth. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. What's that saying? It's basically saying if you've got the Spirit of God within you, you've got something going on. You can hear, you can receive. I want you to get that. It's not that outsiders are outsiders. It means that people who are not yet born again of the Spirit of God do not have the same privilege or access that we are having right now when it comes to voice and communication. Now, can people that don't know Jesus hear from God? Yes, they can. How else then would you become a follower of Jesus if the Spirit of God does not reveal Jesus to you? Right? Make sense? Of course. So people that don't... No, Jesus can hear from God. But we're talking about the mind of Christ here. We're talking about the, the depth of God, God hearing from this spirit, connecting with his spirit, understanding the mysteries of God. Are you with me? So it's not some hierarchy. You're not better than somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You've just fallen into his grace and his mercy. Enjoy that. And don't take it for granted. Actually live from it and allow it to propel you on. Okay, here's where I want to land this morning. This is big. 
Get your head around verse 16 and everything changes in your world. Quoting Isaiah again. <laughs> and Isaiah's being rhetorical when he's, when he's originally quoting it. For he's saying, he's asking this here. Isaiah says, who knows the mind of the Lord? So as to instruct him. Who knows it? Nobody is what he's saying. He's being totally rhetorical. Isaiah's saying, who knows? Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? It means, get yourself on. You're, you're small. God's big. You'll never know. You can't know. It's a rhetorical question. But Paul gives us this. But we have. Listen. But we have. You and I. What do we have? Say it out loud just, to, just, just, so, just so that you can say it out and it shocks you. Oh, so you have the mind of Christ? No, you don't. Do you have the mind of Christ? Yes, get confident in that and get comfortable with it. Get confident and get comfortable. You have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You don't know everything. Okay, let me just say that. You don't know everything that's in the mind of Christ, but Christ wants to reveal the things that the Father wants to communicate as he would to a father and his son. He does. And there's times in my life when I don't tell my kids everything because it's not helpful at age and stage. It has to be appropriate, right? So it is with us too in our lives. Can you imagine if God downloaded everything for us, the world and everything else? What a mess it would be. But it wouldn't be better. Don't kid yourself. We think, oh, that would just be brilliant. Everything would be better. No, it would not. It would not. It would not. Spirit knows God's thoughts. Would you agree? Because we just read it. Does the spirit know God's thoughts? Okay. That's confident and comfortable. Does the spirit know God's thoughts? Yes. Have we the spirit of God within us? Equals. Can we know God's thoughts? You got quieter in that one. Can you know God's thoughts? Yeah. But guys, if you want to live... Standing around as servants, waiting for the master to come and tell you what to do. You can spend your life doing that. But you can get confident and comfortable in the context of friendship and relationship where the conversation flows. You get to choose. You get to choose. And how does it work with that still small voice? You see, what, what he's saying here is, he's saying that God puts his thoughts into our thoughts. Are you with me? You're not a robot. You're not an angel. We're not some spiritual being. We have emotions and thought life. And what God is saying here, that like for like thing, remember that I talked about who knows the, heart, who knows the spirit of a man, the thoughts of a man except a man, who knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So what does that mean? Well, this is super helpful. At least I think it's super helpful. What God does, he gives us his thoughts and he puts them into our thoughts. And that, my friends, is why so many people struggle with hearing the voice of God. Because we conclude, that's just my thought. That's just my thinking. And how many times have we missed the relationship, the constant ebb and flow with Father God to son and to daughter in the context of friendship when he wants to get beyond the do this and do it when? How much have we missed the context of relationship, the flow of communication 
when he wanted to connect with us, dismissing it, that's just my thoughts. It's just my thoughts. Would God really say that? Does he really communicate? God wants to put his thoughts into your thoughts. He's saying everybody born again of the Spirit of God, we can search out Noah's thoughts. We don't know all the mind of God, but we have access. We have access through the blood of Jesus. We have access as sons and daughters where we can engage in a flow of conversation where God reveals stuff to us. Yeah? Yeah. How many times do we even, like, we're trying to figure out the big things in God saying, how are you feeling? How are you feeling today? Why are you feeling like that? Are you with me? Does he care about your thoughts and your feelings? Yeah. He really does. He wants to communicate. See, it's, it's in this mind, it's in this thinking where, where life functions anyway, guys. You, you, we can't argue that one, can we? It's somewhere, a place of thinking where life functions. So what do I mean by that? Your emotions, where do they come from? How you think. You think and you feel. Yeah, you get a thought, you become angry. You get a thought in your life and it becomes something good and something precious, something love and something kind. Something fruitful. Something encouraging for society. Our, our, we function from our thoughts. It's the substance of our life, how we process things, our emotions, how we handle our emotions happens in this place called the thinking, in the mind. That's why you're transformed. Where are you transformed? By how? By renewing your mind so that you might find out what God's good and pleasing will is for your life. You see, we want to find out God's good, good and pleasing will, and then we just say, hey, you didn't say that. And then we, distru- we dis- dis- disregard it and put it to the side, and then we're, just, we're going to go really harder. We're going to fast for 12 days or 28 days. Heck, we're, going to go, we're really going to go for it, and then God gives us another thought, but oh, no, that's just me, and then we go harder again. At it. And God all the time wants to communicate to your thought life. And how many of us dismiss it? Okay, very quickly, because I think this is helpful. We will close off, and I'm just going to fly through these. Because I think you'll, you'll ask the question, okay, tell me if this is helpful. If it's not, we'll, we'll stop. How do we know when it's God? Is that helpful? How do we know when it's God? What if it's a devil? How do we know it's God? How do we know it's just not my thinking? How do we know it's not the enemy? Well, what's coming to your mind? Does it line up with Scripture? Number one, does it line up with Scripture? An easy rule is, I would say, is the fruit of the Spirit. Because you can't get chapter and verse again to tell you what to do. I'm sorry, you can't. Doesn't work that way. So what comes to your mind? Is it good? Is it pleasing? Does it bring patience, kindness, love, long-suffering? That's scriptural, right? So when when God gives you a thought, does it line up with his thoughts? Does it line up with scripture is what I'm talking about? The scripture is our our plumb line, right? It's, it's, It's a measuring thing that we go by. Okay, so if God's speaking to you and saying, you know what, what would be really good for you right now is to have an affair. Because you need that in your life. Right? No, wrong, very wrong. You read the whole book and you soon conclude that that's not the way my life is to go. Right? 
So it is with the red diesel. <laughs> oh, you're don't, not okay with divorce, but slightly okay with red diesel. Okay, does it line up with the Word of God? The fruit of Spirit. Does it bring God glory? And I know it sounds very cliche, but does it honor God in the context of your community? So I always think that when people talk about does it bring God glory, it's if, and, you, and you envisage yourself standing in a mission tent in Africa. This is where it's going to lead you, right? This is bringing God glory. You're standing there in front of thousands and thousands of people because your life was designed to bring God glory. What if bringing God glory was you being a kind person in your workplace tomorrow morning? Wow. What if it was sitting in a bar and engaging when the conversation wasn't good and wasn't going in the right direction and you turned the conversation around to something that was wholesome, something that was helpful, something that was good? Might that be helpful? Might that bring God glory? So, okay, sorry to rubbish. If you had the plan to go to Africa, we will pray for you right after this conversation and we will send you with our love and blessing. We might not finance it, but hey, we will certainly pray for you. But to bring God glory, does it bring God glory in your life? Don't think about the big stuff all the time. Actually think about the everyday small stuff that God wants to do in your life. Does it bring him glory? Does that make sense? Line up with scripture. Fruit of the Spirit, does it bring God glory? Does it motivate you in faith to do something, to activate something that ushers in the kingdom of heaven? Is that a lot? Did you hear that? Activate action to usher in the kingdom. Does the voice of God, does that thought, that small thing, does it engage you with his kingdom? Does it actually compel you to the compelling gospel of Jesus Christ to usher in his kingdom here on earth so that you see God's resources become the things that people need here on earth? Do you hear me? Do you understand that? That we're not just waiting here around some waiting room, waiting for next, last breath, no, we're engaging in ushering in the kingdom of heaven. That's what a disciple does. That's what an apprentice does. An apprentice is not waiting for a certificate. He's waiting to usher in the kingdom of heaven. So good. I'll finish with this. God will not compete for your attention. He won't. In most cases, God will not overrun us. So therefore, you've got to be. I can't do anything for you. You've got to be open to the possibility of God addressing us in whatever way he chooses. Whatever way he chooses. I had a phenomenal thing happen this Thursday. We had finished up in Reach. It was a good day. And, uh, and uh, I've been just engaging with God, working through this talk and, and figuring out, how does God speak to me? So years back, two years ago, we went to India. And um, you've got time for this story? And uh, we were sitting in a car in November time, and um, <clears throat> Michelle and I were having the meal deal at Tesco's. It was £3 with a 10% discount. You can work out the math. I just want to give you as much detail as possible. So we're sitting around the Black Lock. We put on a Catherine Scott song. If you want to hear from God, this is how you have to do it. You've got to get a meal deal from Tesco's, go to the Black Lock and put on a Catherine Scott song. And then we'll, we'll start a whole denomination around that. And so we uh, were sitting in the car, and a butterfly came in and out the car. Now, again, you could, you could choose to say, butterfly, November, cute, odd, whatever. So and Michelle and I sense the Spirit of God in the car. Now you're thinking, clear like curly hair, brush your teeth, aren't you, at the front, pointing in my direction. And so we went to church on the Sunday. How many of you were in the school that remember the butterfly? flying around me and going down the middle of the eye. You remember that day? 
the Sunday after that. Coincidence, eh? Then we went to India, and then we landed in this village where people waited first for three days because we were bringing the glory of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> a man wouldn't go to the doctors for three days. Thank the Lord Jesus that we didn't know this until after he was healed. But abdominal pain wouldn't go to the doctor for three days because we were coming. <laughs> no pressure, right? There was no pressure. We didn't know anything about it. So we're in this place, and in the corner of the tent, could be coincidence, there's a swarm of butterflies. So we walk towards the butterflies. And it was like something out of TBN. Has anybody ever watched Benny Hinn? No? Any Benny Hinn followers in the house? People were just going boom, boom, boom. None of these people that watched God TV, none of these people that bought the book. There was no catchers. All right? So don't, if you want to dispute the theology part with me, you can talk to the people in India in their native tongue. They were going down like nobody's business. And it was all about the butterflies. God's just showing up in a natural way just to say, hey, see this natural thing? Just be aware. Because it'll show you. So, is Carlin Black here? Raven. It's Thursday afternoon. What comes in? A lovely butterfly. I'm standing at the back, comes towards me. Am I telling any lies? No. You can trust Carlin. She's a good woman. <laughs> And it just floats around and then just goes on the door for a bit. And then where it went after that, I have no idea. All that to say this. Let me finish with a quote. Our communicating cosmos, earth, earth is crammed with heaven. The context of voice. Stand with me. Our communicating cosmos, earth, is crammed with heaven. And every common bush a fire with God. But only he, she who sees takes off their shoes. Let me read it again. Our communicating cosmos earth crammed with heaven. Do you believe that? The Spirit of God wants to speak to you, wants to be friends with you. God wants you to hear his voice so that you can walk with him and it can be a flow of conversation. And in his kindness, this earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush, a fire with God. But it's only those who see it take off their shoes because they understand this is holy ground. This is where we commune with the Father. Stretch out your hand if you're comfortable with it. Come, Holy Spirit.